We're starting a brand new series for this month here at St. Andrew Wildflower, and uh, we are exploring this idea of home. The name of the series is going to be called Home, and it just felt appropriate that as we are heading towards Thanksgiving, we're spending time around our own tables and, and around our families in our homes, that we would explore that together. And so we're going to be looking at Bible stories and then also fine art paintings. We'll be looking at masterpieces, and, and Dale wants to use those as, as a visual for us all. And so I'm opening up this whole, uh, this whole series today, but before we talk about home, I want to talk about the idea of orphans. Um, we talked about this a little bit. Oh, it's so cute. You're like kind of nervous for her. Uh, but, but this idea of, of orphans, and, and we started off today with that question of, you know, what's a favorite story of yours with orphans? And maybe, like, like Hogan discovered this, there's a whole lot out there. There's these famous stories of, of Annie, and I heard someone talking about, hey, we saw, we saw the new Annie a little bit ago. And then there's the old Dickens novels of Oliver Twist and David Copperfield. There are so many famous stories of orphans. Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer are both orphans. Now, uh, some of the older, uh, old-fashioned stories of lore, you've got King Arthur. He was an orphan. Did you know the Lone Ranger? was an orphan. And so was Tarzan. Look at Tarzan, so buff. He is king of the jungle. He was an orphan, Tarzan. Now, also, Hogan was so excited about this. He was like, he was like you're going to use it in your talk, right? You're going to use your talk. It's Frodo. Frodo. Frodo's an orphan. Frodo is an orphan. And also, Harry Potter, stories of today, all orphans. What's that? What's that? We didn't remember Harry Potter. We, oh, come on, guys. Come on, get on your orphan game. All right, now, Batman and all three Robins are all orphans. How many of you knew there are three Robins in the stories of Batman? I'm the only comic book nerd? Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Going with that idea of superheroes. Uh, so we've got Spider-Man, Superman, Daredevil, Punisher, all of these people. Orphans, and of course, Nacho! Nacho Libre. It's like being an orphan. It, 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 it gives you this heightened sense of justice and a deep desire to wear tight, stretchy pants. <laughs> right? <laughs> Other stories of orphans, Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, all orphans. We love these stories. And then the stories of today. Yeah. Oh, from the youth band. Yay. Big Hero 6. Fantastic movie. Story about an orphan. Now, if you're going to go with the idea of Disney, Think of a Disney movie. We've got Snow White. We've got Sleeping Beauty. Um, I was actually listing these Disney movies. I could hardly think of a Disney movie that wasn't dealing like Elsa and Anna are orphans. Um, I couldn't think of a Disney movie that didn't have uh, the, like the, the, the one parent had died or was out of the picture tragically. Tangled. But she was removed, and she was orphaned and living in a different land, and she was trying to find her parents. Now, the one, I, the one that I, oh, we're going to argue, because now we're getting into theology now, and I just want to let everybody know that I'm right. Uh, no, no so, so Brave was the one I could think of, but she turns her mother into a bear. So what do you do with that? Uh, <laughs> she is alive. She is alive and in the picture. <laughs> 86 of the 101 Dalmatians are orphans. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. And then, of course, my man, Anakin Skywalker, orphaned at a young age, has one parent and then passes away. And then, in fact, going the Star Wars route, everyone on this screen, except for the weird dude who we don't know his name with the beard, everyone in this picture 
is an orphan. Getting into these, like the stories of lore, the stories of Disney, the stories of books that we read, the stories that we tell our kids. The question isn't, what are the great stories that we know and love that have orphans in them? The stories, it's, the question is like, what are the stories that don't have orphans, right? There's so many stories of these orphans. And so why? Why do we love these stories of orphans? Why do they tug at our heartstrings? Why are we drawn to these kinds of stories and tell each other them over and over? Why are they famous? And I want to put forward, I feel like we all know in some sense what it's like to be alone. And the, the story of the orphan takes that into a heightened degree. We all know what it's like to be alone and we all want hope. We all know what it's like to feel isolated. We all know what it's like to have those times where we feel like we've got that struggle and we're by ourselves and we want hope. There's a wonderful quote. It says, the most important thing that someone can know is that as she approaches her own door, someone is on the other side listening for footsteps. We long for that picture of a home, because in, really, we don't want a house. You have these keys in your hands. We don't want a house, we want, we want a home. We want a place where when we are approaching the door, we know that someone is on the other side listening, right? There's this story uh, from this picture. It's a famous photo from Edie Adams. And we all know the, the person holding this little baby. You can't see it very well, but the little baby doesn't have any arms. And this little baby is, uh, is not the baby of, of, uh, of the, she's not the mother of this, of this little baby. It's not, it's not a friend of hers, child. This woman picked this little baby out of the gutter in Calcutta, and uh, she runs an orphanage in India, and, and she saw this little child that needed a home. Uh, because of the caste system within Hinduism, that baby would have been abandoned to fend for themselves because of the sins of the past former life. But this woman steps in and says, you know, we're gonna give grace and compassion anyways and brings her into a home. We don't want a house. We want a home. We want a family. We have this really natural inclination within all of us that we want a place where we have the keys and the door swings open quickly as we approach because someone is listening on the other side. We want a place where we can laugh. We want a place where we can be safe. We want a place where we can gather on the table and share meals together. We don't just want a house. We want a home. How many of you know where that still is from? Is anybody in here an Arcade Fire fan? So there was a video that came out many years ago, uh, just a few years ago actually, by this band called Arcade Fire, and it's, it's called We Used to Wait For It. And it was a new kind of technology with this video. It was something that hadn't been done before. Um, in order to watch the video, you had to put in the address of the home that you were currently at or the home that you grew up at. And so you put this in, and the video would incorporate Google Maps. And the video starts, and it has this figure sprinting and running, and he's hooded. And, and, and you're watching this, and you realize it starts to show pictures of your childhood home. And, and, the, and the figure is running, and it starts talking about what it meant to be 
safe, what it meant to have this place in this past where you had a family, and you realize that the figure running isn't just someone randomly, it's you, and you're going home, and it brings up all these issues, and, and you'd talk to people, what do you think about that video? They'd be like, man, I was like torn up afterwards, or, or, or I, was, I was bawling, or, or it made me angry, you know, and, uh, and it gives us this sense of we long for a home. We have a desire to be found. This is our story. This is why we love these stories of these orphans. It gives us hope. We want a place where we can laugh and be safe and eat with our friends and family. And everything is so good. Can I get an amen? amen. Hmm. Jesus tells a famous story about a kid who messes up and loses his home. And it's called the parable of the lost son. And I mean, I mean, if you like drove by a church at some point in your life, you've probably like heard the story of the parable of the, of the prodigal son. It's, it's so famous. It's one of Jesus' big hits. <laughs> it says, uh, he's telling this group of folks, says, there's a man who had two sons. And the younger one says to the father, father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property up between them. In that one little sentence, there is so much, like, like it would have been a bombshell in the audience. They would have been like, oh, oh. This was actually a public shaming thing in Jewish culture. It was as though the son came to the father and said, hey, I wish you were dead now. And all the things that, that you have been working towards in your life that you wanted to pass to me, I want those now. And I don't care about your life at all. And so everyone would have seen this. In order for the father to give half of the wealth, um, it, would have, it would have been a really public thing, right? He would have had to go through the process of selling property. Neighbors would have come by and like, like, hey, what's going on? People would have seen this happen. They would have watched an unraveling of a family. It would have taken time and it would have been real public in front of everybody's eyes. And, and by granting the son's wishes, the father is actually taking on the shame of the whole situation, isn't he? It, it's, it's this picture of, of a father who could have said no and thrown the kid out. That would have been justified in Jewish culture, very much so. But instead, the father takes on the shame and says, for the sake of my son, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look like a fool. I'm going to look weak. And I'm going to look abused in the eyes of my friends and my servants and my family for this child. And the story goes on and says, not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had uh, took a while. He set off for a distant country and squandered all of his wealth in wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him uh, to feed uh, the fields to feed pigs. So, so this young man comes from a prominent family and now is in the field feeding pigs, which again would have been a part of Jewish culture of like, ah, oh, that's huge shame. It says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's separated. He finds himself lost from his home. He's away. He's isolated. He's alone. And he feels that deep hunger. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out back to my father and say to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So he has this practiced response. He's ready to go back home, but not as a son anymore. He's not going to even try. He's got a practiced apology, and he's going to say, I just want to do the rules. I just want to like, like, like I, don't, I don't need to be in the household. I just want to work so that I can at least eat and get a little scraps from the table. Just on a side note, how many of us know people who actually approach faith in that, in that way? They carry to, this, to their table with their father this, this, um, this guilt and this shame. And they're like, hey, I just, I just want to, if I just go every Sunday to church and if I just do the rules, then, then, then hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll, I'll, I'll get into heaven. And so here's this young man coming back. He's got his practiced speech and he can't stay away from home any longer. He's feeling too alone, too hungry. The son has his practiced apology. And he's heading home. Now, here's where Jesus throws a twist into the story. And, and people in the audience at the time would have just oh, like, like loved this. And they would have been surprised by it. It says, while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son. So the young man is approaching home and he realizes that he's not the only one running. Picture that person again, the hooded figure running in that arcade fire video, sprinting for home. And all of a sudden he sees he's not the only one running. Within Jewish culture, if you shamed your father in such a way like this of saying, I wish you were dead, sell your estate, and then you came back home, you had the nerve? It was actually written in Deuteronomy, a law of Moses, that the people of the town were supposed to stone him. Like, you don't do that kind of offense to your family. And so people would have been gathering the rocks and been like, been like I know what that kid did. And the father is out running all of them to meet his boy. The father has been waiting this whole time. The father has been scanning the horizon, checking every chance he gets towards those city gates. His eyes have been there. He longs to see his child again. And the moment the father sees his son, he begins to run. And the father outruns all these people. He doesn't care about the shame. He doesn't care about looking foolish or feeling weak. He longs simply to see his boy. And, and here's where I would love to just settle in for a, a moment here. This is Jesus' picture of God. It's a father scanning the horizon, looking for a runaway. It's a story about feeling alone and isolated and returning and finding a home again. It says the father sprints out to meet him and then embraces him. And the, and the son has this whole apology ready to go. It says, uh, the son said to the father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father, the father doesn't let him get to the whole servant portion of the apology of like, of like whatever. Like the father's like, oh, 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 oh. Uh, but the father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we began to celebrate. Now I love this because sometimes I need God's interruption. 
I need God to interrupt me. I have my practiced apology. I have these places of shame. I have these places where I'm coming to God and I'm like, okay, uh, you know, I know that I've been like this and I know I'm not worthy of this. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, let's, I'm so glad you're here. Let's celebrate. We are together. You've found your way home. We long for a home. We don't just want a house. We want a home. We want a place where we can be safe, where we can eat, where we can celebrate, where we can be together as family. It's why we love these stories of orphans. It's, it's of home lost and found again and placed in family. And this is why these are our own stories in disguise. What if we love these stories? The reason is because they're about us, something inside each of us. This is a famous painting from Rembrandt. Rembrandt was known for being able to use these dark colors and then sources of light. And here's what's beautiful about this painting. He was commissioned to do this piece. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Um, but the model for the prodigal son, I'm going to use myself. And as a painter, as a painter in this time, you would have had models that you would have paid to come in and you'd, you'd paint them and you'd get the light just right. For himself, he said, no, I'm going to do that challenge of I'm going to, I'm going to just know myself and paint myself in the embrace of a father who loves me. Because he knew what it was like to feel isolated and alone. And he knew what it was like to return and to be embraced, to have those keys, and to know that someone was on the other side listening. We aren't just offered a house in Jesus' picture of God, we're given a home. I want to give one last image uh, for us of orphans. Uh, a few years back, I was actually honored to go to an adoption. And uh, one of the profound things that our culture does when a child is adopted, have any of you been to an adoption uh, in a courthouse? One of the things that they'll do is, is they'll actually issue a brand new birth certificate. And so we're sitting in the courthouse and this little four-year-old Branson is getting adopted by these beautiful people, Jess and Ryan. And to culminate the ceremony, the judge says over Jess and Ryan says, there was never a time when this child was not your son. And their name is written in as the parents in this birth certificate. It says adoption just not only changes the child's future, but also his past. And this is our picture of our Father in heaven. He sprints out to meet us, and he says over us, you have always been my child. You are welcome to take that key that I, that I handed out. Um, take it with you, keep it in your pocket, aside from where you usually keep your keys, and, uh, and, and let it be a reminder to you that you have a home, that your Father in heaven greets you with open arms always. And it's a place where you can be safe. It's a place where you can ask questions. It's a place where you can find family. It's a place where you can laugh easily and break bread together. <laughs>